The corporate media seemed to stop caring about the investigation of Jeffrey Epstein after the guilty verdict of Ghislaine Maxwell. But there are still loads of questions to be answered. Why was the initial evidence swept under the rug by the grand jury? How did Jeffrey Epstein get away with one count of soliciting prostitution when there were over 32 victims willing to come forward? And where are the blackmail tapes? I'm Zach Rosefeld, your host of The Ox. Let's get into it. So many of you who have been listening to The Ox for a while will know that I started actually putting out short form episodes in the, in the form of 15, 20 minute clips on different topics. And I recently started recording longer form episodes, an hour long in length, about two or three months ago. And it's been a, it's been a great journey. And I've scattered my brain for for many days. I, I felt scattered with the topics. I, I've been doing many different topics. I haven't been sticking to one line of investigation or exploration. I've covered current events. I've covered comedy. Uh, I've covered corruption. I've covered articles on real estate, MK Ultra, uh, the disappearance of tennis players. It, it, it's been... It's been fun, but it's felt very scattered and without a rock-solid base for the aux. So in order to make the show better and in order to kind of remove myself from the current event take space where I have to have a take on everything that happens in the news, I've decided to focus the aux on what I enjoy covering the most and also the th – this is also in line with the episodes that I've done – the best on the aux in terms of downloads and reach. I'm going to focus the aux on drugs, money, power, and crime. So stories, long-form articles, or videos that specifically have to do with drugs, money, power, and crime. And today is the start of that transition. So for the future, all stories that I cover will fit within that realm of corruption per se. I, I enjoy fucking covering it. it. It's always a blast. I love getting into these stories. I, I just tore through a book on the Franklin scandal, which is which definitely will be the topic for a future episode on this pedophile ring in uh, Franklin, Tennessee. And I read it in about three days. And then after that, I read a biography on Marilyn Manson in three days, too. So I said, OK, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in this sort of dark side of drugs, but also money, power and crime. Why not focus on that? So that's how I'm going to do this. I'm going to make the show better. It's going to be more focused. I'm not going to be covering things all over the place anymore. So just so you know, going forward, that will be the format of the show. So let's get into it. This week, we are talking about the Jeffrey Epstein cover-up. And the source for this episode, the reference for this episode, is an article called The Jeffrey Epstein Cover-Up, Pedophilia, Lies, and Ghislaine Maxwell. And this article is by Nick Bryant, and you can find it in the Sheer Post. Nick Bryant is an investigative journalist. And according to Nick Bryant, he recently appeared on the Matt and Shane Secret Podcast, that the podcast hosted by Matt McCusker and Matt McCusker, excuse me, and Shane Gillis. And 
he went on this podcast. I, I had already read about the Franklin scandal, which Nick Bryan covered. And he, and he went on this podcast and mentioned this article on Jeffrey Epstein. He published that no corporate media source would touch. It had all this information. No one wanted to touch it. And so it's it was uh, posted on Sheer Post. And it goes into all of these things that we're going to get into. But this is the source article for this episode. It's about a 30-minute read over 6,000 words, and I pulled out some of the most striking excerpts to get into and discuss with you today. So um, right before I started recording this episode, my girlfriend said to me, is this your form of therapy, the the solo podcast, you talking to the camera instead of talking to a therapist? And I guess you could say that's partially true. I am going to be talking about corruption and pedophile rings and cover-ups and crime instead of talking in a healthy manner on a regular basis to a therapist i'm going to push myself even further into the darkest realms of my mind by talking to you guys today and that is the form of therapy that i choose so let's get into it again the article is the jeffrey epstein cover-up pedophilia lies and galane maxwell and i will link that in the podcast wherever you're listening to this or watching this so the grand jury secrecy, there's a lot of shady shit that was going on with grand jury and, and cover-ups, and the article starts out with Nick Bryant getting into the specifics of that, and he writes, although Epstein's crimes against children had been reported to the FBI in 1996, the first law enforcement agency to earnestly investigate Epstein was the Palm Beach Police Department starting in 2005. The PP, the PBPD, sounds like a peanut butter gang. The boys down at PBPD compiled the statements of five minors who had been molested by Epstein. The PBPD, <laughs> I can't keep saying this, the, the PBPD, also rounded up the statements of several witnesses who corroborated the minors' claims, and the department was aware of 17 additional victims who had allegedly been molested by Epstein. This is where it gets crazy. The PBPD drew up an arrest warrant charging Epstein with one count of lewd and lascivious molestation. Don't know what that means, but it sounds dark. It's being used to describe molestation, so I think it's safe to assume. Uh, the, the arrest warrant charging Epstein with one count of lewd and lascivious molestation and four counts of unwanted sexual activity with a minor. The PBPD also sought to charge two of Epstein's henchwomen and procurers of underage girls, Sarah Kellen as a principal to Epstein's offenses and Haley Robson with one count of lewd and lascivious conduct. But Palm Beach State Attorney Barry Krischer K-R-I-S-C-H-E-R, swooped in and snatched the Epstein case from the PBPD. He opted to impanel a grand jury to investigate the child abuse allegations. So it sounds like this investigation was on its way. 17 victims who had been allegedly molested by Epstein. All this evidence started gathering. The the henchwomen, the the assistants to Ghislaine Maxwell who are procuring these underage girls, 
there was evidence of this and, and, and strong corroboration to support it. And then Palm Beach State Attorney Barry Krischer comes in and says to the PB, PD, sorry, boys, I actually got this one. We're going to do a grand jury to investigate the child abuse allegations instead. And we'll, I, I'm going to get into why the grand jury sucks. Like It's literally just, it sounds like federally funded cover-up, essentially a grand jury trial. But before we get into the specifics of what a grand jury trial actually is, because it's anything except a trial, why does the U.S. justice system operate like a comedy club? If you if you think about it, something that often happens in a comedy club, and, you know, I, I'm again, I've never performed a set, I've never done anything in the the comedic realm but i'm a huge fan of comedy i've been to numerous comedy clubs throughout the city throughout the country and one thing that comedians will talk about especially on podcasts because there's so many podcasts these days with comedians is the idea of getting bumped and the idea of someone coming in and saying to a maybe a comedian who's three or four years into their career someone like a bill burr will come in to the New York Comedy Club, and he will bump the comedian with less experience. And it's not a cruel thing. It's not a, like, oh, fuck this guy. Like, I'm doing my set instead. It's just a, it, it, it's like a thing that the upper tier of comedians have earned. It's like I put in my time, so when now I go to these clubs and I want to do a set, I can come, and if I want to, I can bump someone and say, hey, listen, I'm going to do 15 minutes. You know, do you mind... Um, and then you can go on after me. So because of the quote unquote prestige or, or authority of the top comedians like Bill Burr, Dave Chappelle, um, you know, they can come in and they have the right to bump someone, which seems fine for, for a creative industry where you put in time, you put in the work, you know, no one's getting killed if you a set goes wrong, no one's life is at risk. Of course, yeah, do that. If, if you build up the prestige, if you put in the time, you've been doing comedy 10, 20 years and you're killing it now, you should have the right to have the option to come in and bump someone off stage. And, and again, it's not a cruelty thing. It's not out of malice. It's just something that happens in the industry. But why does the U.S. justice system employ the same tactics and the, and the same rapport as a comedy club. Like this guy, Barry Krischer comes in and he's like the comedian that put in time. He's the, the head guy. And he comes in and he says to the PBPD, the boys down at the precinct, he's like, Hey guys, look, I know you, I know you have all this evidence. I know these witnesses have come forward. I know you're leading the investigation. It's your time. It's your, it's your slot. It's your spot right now. But I'm going to I'm going to bump this to the grand jury. I'm going to, you know, what's just just bump it like I'm coming in and bumping it and, it and I'm not asking. I'm just telling you this is going to the grand jury. And how how does this work again? Like the, people's lives are on the line. The the law. The, the lives of children that have been destroyed by molestation and this this whole pedophile ring. How can you have an investigation that works with the same tactics 
as the laugh factory. Literally, how how is that the the back and forth that works when someone the the PBPD should have had some sort of repercussions and maybe they did. I there's there's a lot of unclear things going on behind the scenes, but they should be able to say, you know, hey, you know, this isn't a comedy club. We've been working this investigation. I know that you have some sort of authority, but we're actually, you know, we we prefer to take this to a real trial, not a grand jury trial. Here is why a grand jury trial is so fucked up. So here's a little bit about it. Unlike a standard trial, a grand jury proceeding, which is what Barry Krischer swooped in and turned the Epstein case into, unlike a standard trial, a grand jury proceeding is cloaked in secrecy, Nick Bryant writes. Grand juries aren't open to the public. And the identity of the witnesses who testify and the content of their testimony are never disclosed. The special prosecutor of a grand jury calls the witnesses, questions the witnesses, and selects the evidence that is shown to the grand jurors. And the grand jurors are normal, everyday citizens who have shown up for jury duty and have been funneled to the grand jury. A grand jury, to me, this is my completely unexpert, dumbass opinion, just hearing about what a grand jury is, a grand jury is basically like LeBron James coming in and playing a, a game of pickup with six-year-olds. Literally, that's what it is. Like if, if you're a pro prosecutor and you have all the skills and knowledge, you're, you're the LeBron James of the legal system, you're a professional prosecutor, you have the Jeffrey Epstein case, you're presenting all the evidence it's like this fucked up game of pickup basketball because you're you're presenting this hand picked selected evidence that you've combed over, you've get to you've gotten to see, you you're you're not showing everything, you're picking and choosing to everyday citizens, everyday average people who work at a fucking Chipotle or uh, work in finance, like they're not working in law. They, they have no idea that a grand jury is set up like this. They come in and they probably assume that everything they're seeing is the full extent of the case. Like, yeah, obviously the prosecutor would show us everything they have because that's what a that's what a prosecutor does. That's what I see in the media. That's what I see on TV. You know, they present the evidence. Why would there be some sort of withholding of evidence? You know, it says right here that they get to select the evidence that is shown to the grand jurors. Um the identity of the witnesses who testify and content of their testimony are never disclosed. Grand juries aren't open to the public. So it's like you're, you're, you're hand-selecting everything as the pro, as the prosecutor. And then you have all these amateurs who are the grand jurors. And I don't mean amateurs in like a, their dumb sense, but the, they're not lawyers. They, they don't know how this works. They're not prosecutors and they're coming in you know, naive and I don't know what they're being told and they're, I'm sure it's easy to manipulate. Like you could present evidence however you want. And it's literally like, that's why I'm saying LeBron. It's like LeBron James playing a game of pickup basketball against six year olds who are blindfolded because they can't even see everything because the, the prosecutor can hand select shit. So it's like LeBron coming in and it's like, you're six years old, you have no skills, you suck at basketball, you're not coordinated, and also cover one eye. Because we're not going to show you everything, we're not going to show you the whole game. 
There is a uh, this guy Soul Wachtler, W A C H T L E R. Soul Wachtler, a former chief appellate judge of New York State, that said a special prosecutor could persuade grand jurors to quote unquote indict a ham sandwich. That is the level of manipulation. That is the level of tactics. That is the level of unevenness that we're talking about with the special prosecutor and the the grand juries and the the combination of the manipulation and this hand-selected evidence. You can literally, um, Chief Appellate Judge State in New York saying that you can literally indict a ham sandwich. So to me, a grand jury just sounds like a legal cover-up. It's like this whole performative trial, but not really a trial thing. When you, when you hear that someone gets proven innocent by a grand jury or someone gets sentenced by a grand jury, you think, oh, that's a cool name, you know, grand jury. This must be the best. This must be the best courtroom. This must be the best, you know, most open and tested thing. It's not just a jury. It's not just a trial. It's a grand. It's grand, motherfucker. But it's not. It's basically legal cover-up job. That's what, that's what it sounds like. Let's just take a quick, quick diversion before we get back to the, the grand jury cover-up to acknowledge the existence of pretty privilege. Now, Haley Robeson and Sarah Kellen were mentioned in the article by Nick Bryant as the henchwomen procuring underage girls for Jeffrey Epstein and Ghislaine Maxwell. Why do we not hear about Haley Robson and Sarah Kellen with Ghislaine? Ghislaine, she was in hiding. She went on trial. She had all this attention. Where's Haley Robson and where's Sarah Kellen? Turns out, you know, I'm interested in this, so I went to go look up a photo of them. Turns out they're smoking hot. Ghislaine Maxwell's not bad. But I... I I wouldn't call her hot. I'd call her good good looking for a middle-aged woman. Most guys could probably say, you know, she could get it, you know. Ghislaine's a, a piece of pedophile hanging shit and but you know, she could get it. That's that's what I imagine most guys would say. Not because, you know, she's hot. You don't look at Ghislaine Maxwell and go, oh, she's hot, but it's like she has this esteemed money rich vibe where you're like yeah do it you know do it for the story but Haley Robeson and Sarah Kellen legit hot smoke shows one of them is bleeps and bounds hot like both of them are hot I'd say but one of them is just like a legit 11 out of 10 why are we not hearing about these women who are the ones doing the dirty work the hench women if they were ugly, I have no choice but to believe that they would have been brought on trial with Glenn Maxwell. Because people, like, no one wants to talk about this, but the ultimate privilege in life for anything, for jobs, for relationships, for just normal social interactions, is being good looking. Like, you can get away with so much shit just being good looking. The, the, I, I, I'm lucky enough to be a decent looking guy and the amount of shit that I've said that would not go over well if I was ugly is incredible and I realize that like I I realize that there is a privilege to looking decent and these women are like dying like 11 out of 10 like Jesus Christ and 
I'm trying to think in my head, what is a reason why they would not be prosecuted alongside Ghislaine? And maybe there are things in the works. But pretty privilege has to have something to do with it. Like, there's the whole there's the whole trope in romantic comedy where the guys in romantic comedies and rom-coms are basically stalking these women and they're sending mes- unsolicited messages and they're following them at work and they're showing up at airports and like all these things that are defined as being a stalker like if you looked up the definition of a stalker 70% of it would apply to any guy in a romantic comedy made before 2010. But the difference is these guys are all hot as fuck. And they're chasing women that are hot as fuck. So it comes off as cute. It comes off as romantic. Is there a pretty privilege in these rich pedophile rings? Who gets chosen to process or who's uh, who these people choose to bring into the light? Like, Elaine Maxwell I'm not saying that there aren't other forces at work but if there are what are they because they did all the same shit as Ghislaine Maxwell their names are out there they're henchwomen they're known associates but the difference is they're hot as fuck so I'm just looking at what's what I have to work with so is this like the rom-com version of the the pedophile rings if you're if if you're hot you'll get away with it um the the hench women thing i it it made me think of if you guys have seen kill bill the first kill bill volume 1 the the hench girl to oren ishi in kill bill her name is gogo and she's the one that does the dirty work of oren ishi you know she goes out she fucking works people with a knife, fillets her enemies, takes care of bodies, goes out. Oren Ishii says, kill this person, and she does that. She's the hench girl of Oren Ishii. And this would be like if Oren Ishii got indicted by a pro prosecutor and they just let off Gogo. They were like, oh, no, it's fine. Like, you were the hench girl of Oren Ishii, but, like, it's cool. We're just going to go after Oren. You can, you know, you're hot. You can just, you're hot, you're young, you have your whole life ahead of you. You know, who cares that you turn human beings into sushi? This is, it's just, we're going to just look the other way. It, w- it would be like the hench girl of, uh, in Kill Bill, if Oren Ishii went down, the police would just be like, yeah, fuck it. Like, she, she was the most evil one. She was more evil than Oren Ishii. Like, Oren, at least she had some sort of reason for what she was doing. She wanted respect. Like, there was a vibe to her where she was doing all this fucked up shit. But, like, she was coming from a place of a very dark place. But a place of, like, I want to be something in this world. Gogo would just fuck. Like, she would take absolute pleasure in just ending people's lives. And, and it was fun to watch. It was fun to watch. You know, I'm not saying I wouldn't hook up with her. If, if I knew I was going to die, I'd still do it. But it, it would, uh, I would get my throat immediately slit after coming. So why are henchwomen not uh, being brought up in this conversation? Pretty, pretty privilege is real. Okay, so 
getting back into the grand jury secrecy, thank you for sticking with me, by the way, through that whole pretty privilege rant. You know, it's got to be, I just had to bring it up, you know, couldn't let, couldn't let these girls slide by. They, if they were ugly, they'd be indicted. That is the main story of today. <laughs> no, but, um, okay. So Nick Bryant goes on to write, this is. This this is just one of the things why the special prosecutors chose not to go forward with victim testimony and hearing out all the, the, the victims and giving more of a harsher penalty. So Nick Bryant goes on to write, the prosecutors cited, quote unquote, conflicted accounts by victims as a rationale for not indicting Epstein on a single count of child abuse. One, the conflicting accounts were extremely disingenuous. The prosecutors asserted that one of the victims said that Epstein had deployed a purple vibrator when he abused her, but the other victim said that Epstein deployed a white vibrator during their abuse. And so the special prosecutors heard this. They heard one of the victims say, yeah, when he was abusing me, when he brought me into the room, whatever, and started doing this, I remember him using a purple vibrator. And the other one was saying other details of horrific abuse and was like, yeah, but it it was with a white vibrator. And the special prosecutors heard this and were like, that's like case closed. Like they're lying. One said white vibrator. One said purple vibrator. Let's pack up. Let's go home. What if he had two vibrators? You don't think a guy like Jeffrey Epstein has multiple vibrators? He probably has a vibrator collection, like one of those Russian dolls where you just fucking keep stacking the smaller dolls inside the bigger dolls. He probably had that for vibrators. He probably had the purple one, abused one girl with it, did God knows what, and then took off the purple cover and there was a white one underneath and then he abused another girl and then he took off that and there was a yellow vibrator underneath and like all this shit. And they were using this detail as a point of inconsistency in the testimony. Imagine you're, you're, you're a professional prosecutor. You've, you've most likely spent your life prosecuting scum, pedophiles, criminals, whatever. You've heard all the stories. You, you've, you've seen the trials. You've seen the testimony. You've heard victims talking about things that you have nightmares about. And you hear two victims talk and they give you very similar details, horrific details, probably tears streaming down their face. They're, they're recounting all these traumatic memories. And you've already heard one account as the prosecutor. And you've heard the purple vibrator account. And then the, the girl with the, the, the same story goes up and she says, yeah, and by the way, like he did it all with a, with a white vibrator. And you as the prosecutor go, wait, did you just say white? I just want to get this straight. Did you just say he used a white vibrator? And she's like, yeah, it was white. And the prosecutor just goes, you, you just go, all right, I know what this is. I know what this is. You're lying. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not. It, it's, it, it was a white vibrator. And you're just like, whoa. Explain this then. And you just hold up the bag with a purple vibrator. And the girl's just like, he, I mean, he probably had multiple bi- vibrators. He was a very sick man, one of the sickest mans ever to walk this planet. And he was also 
uh, a sexual deviant, I, I imagine he had multiple vibrators. And, and the prosecutor's just like, nah, we're done here. I'm stumped. I'm stumped. I, I'm, I'm taken aback that you would lie about a man like Jeffrey Epstein accusing him of having two vibrators. What kind of sick man would this guy have to be to carry two vibrators of different colors? God. Case closed. Like, how do you stop at the different color vibrators? That, that is, that is going to continually blow my mind. This other guy, Alex, Alexander Acosta, he was the attorney for the Southern District of Florida, and he was one of the guys that was on the Epstein case, and he said, quote unquote, I was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone. I was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone. Does the CIA have the entire U.S. government? I can't talk. I'm, I'm being drugged right now by the CIA, so I can't finish recording this podcast. Does the CIA have the entire U.S. government blackmailed? Like that, that a, a, an attorney prosecutor of Florida... Like someone from intelligence would come to him and say, like, this dude's with us. You got to leave this alone. One, one of the most um, prolific pedophiles ever to walk the earth. And someone comes to him and says, this guy's intelligence. We're going to need you to, to back off. How are you not like, no, that's cool. But like, we're, we're, we're probably still going to. Look into this. There's a line of 32 more girls that are corroborating everything that's uh, about the story that's already, you know, come out. We're, we're probably going to go like the CIA must have the entire government blackmailed. Like all they do, they dr they drug homeless people in MK Ultra. recorded an episode about that. They fund cartels like in Iran-Contra. They, you know, allegedly enable these pedophile sex rings to corrupt politicians, corrupt people of power. Any other organization would be shut down immediately. Like, if, if the NBA did 5% of what the CIA did, the U.S. government would be like, like, the, no more NBA. If the NBA was taking homeless people off the street and drugging them with LSD and recording it, they'd be like, "There's, we're just not going to have basketball for a long time. But like the, the president, the, the people at the highest places of power in the, the United States government seem to be unwilling to do anything to go against the CIA. So is it out of the kindness of their heart? Is it because it can't because it, it can't be because they think the CIA is doing a good job? Because their track record is horrendous. So the, you either have to believe that the the president of the United States, the people at the highest levels of power, are just like ignorant to everything, or the CIA has something on people that are very high up in government or, or the, the shit that's going on comes back to them. Cause how could, if you're in the CIA, again, it's not like the president's telling you, like if, if you're in the CIA, you're in an organization that's unrelated to the attorney, um, for the Southern district of Florida, it's two separate organizations. If I come to you, I'm in the CIA, have all this evidence against 
Jeffrey Epstein and I'm the I'm the attorney general and the CIA some guy from the CIA in a suit is like listen Jeffrey Epstein's with us you're gonna have to back off he's with intelligence some type of intelligence like and you're just like no what's happening like why can you not say no to these guys and and people are gonna say in the comments like you know, you don't know what's going on behind closed doors, that everyone's in on it, the CIA, like everyone in the government's corrupt. But I have to believe there's some some good people that are prosecutors, attorney generals that wanted to see this guy go down, but they just keep falling like dominoes because someone someone tells them this guy's with intelligence. He you can't touch him. He's labeled untouchable. So I don't know what's going on here. Also, if someone is part of intelligence, if you had the excuse, if if there was a version of Jeffrey Epstein who was not a pedophile, but he, he was a cool guy and he still had the excuse that I'm part of intelligence, I could do anything I want. That is such a good excuse to have to use to basically get away with anything you want to do anything you could think of like if i had the excuse of being protected by intelligence i would walk into a five guys and demand lifetime catering for free and the guy behind the counter would be like what no are you are you fucking kidding me like is this a joke and i'm i'd say lifetime catering for free to my apartment five guys get on it please i would say please and the guy would be like, sir, you're, you're delusional. And then a, a phone would ring and the manager in the back would pick it up and there would be some mumbled voice on it that the guy at the front couldn't hear. And it's just like, like in those movies, you just hear like the on the other the uh, end of the phone. And then the manager comes in. He comes into the front of the five guys and he whispers in the, the cashier's ear and he says, this guy's with intelligence. And the cashier's like, what? And and the manager's like, just, just do it. Just give him the catering. Just. And I'm just, I'm, the whole time this conversation is happening, I'm just nodding, looking into the eyes of the cashier. I'm just like, that's right. That's right, motherfucker. Not only, not, not only am I with intelligence, but I'm, I am intelligent, which is why I'm going to use my power for good to get free lifetime catering from five guys. Let's get into the next portion of the article, which is the black book and the ter- the 32 victims, the, the 32 victims that were lined up um, and just were not used as resources for some reason. So Nick Bryant writes, Epstein's adjudication disclosed that he had been told to back down from the Epstein case. Quote, unquote, I was told Epstein belonged to intelligence and to leave it alone, Acosta said. Acosta and the Justice Department engineered a, quote, unquote, sweetheart deal for Epstein in 2008. 
This is where it gets fucked up. So after the Justice Department took over the case, Epstein was charged with one count of solicitation of prostitution and one count of solicitation of prostitution with a minor, even though the Justice Department had a list of 32 underage victims. One count with 32 underage victims. He was sentenced to 18 months in the county jail, where he served 13 months. And supposedly he was just allowed to go do whatever he wanted at night. So he was really only in jail. I, I forget if, if Epstein was allowed out at night or during the day, but the point is it was more like a hotel experience than a jail. And it was only 13 months, 32 victims, 13 months for Epstein. The assistant U.S. attorney prosecuting Epstein and Marie Villafana also concluded with an Epstein attorney to ensure that Epstein not only received this deal, but a federal non-prosecution agreement that granted immunity to all of his co-conspirators, including the per- procurers and the pers- and the perpetrators. Excuse me. Epstein's attorney, uh, the the assistant U.S. attorney, also colluded with an Epstein attorney to ensure that Epstein not only received the deal. And I'm repeating this again because I butchered it the first time, but a federal non-prosecution agreement that granted immunity to all of his co-conspirators, including procurers and perpetrators. So basically anyone involved, this is probably an answer to why these women, Haley Robeson and Sarah Kellen, who were the henchwomen of Ghislaine Maxwell, why they weren't prosecuted because they may have been considered co-conspirators or perpetrators alongside Epstein. And so the deal... The, the federal non-prosecution agreement granted immunity to his co-conspirators and these women, you know, it seems like they would definitely fall into that category. A co-conspirator of Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell. The Crime Victims' Right Act mandates that the Justice Department notify Epstein's victims that his case was being adjudicated, but the Justice Department contravened that law. Epstein's victims were notified after his sentence and non-prosecution agreement had been finalized. So they were denied a dialogue with Epstein's prosecutors and or the opportunity to confront Epstein. In a further glaring injustice, the Justice Department attempted to ensure that the Epstein plea deal would remain forever secret by sealing it. And I'm going to seal that with a coffee sip. Imagine having 32 individual witnesses who are not in communication with each other. They're 32 separate individuals, and you have all of these victims ready to testify, ready to come forward. And the prosecutor's just like, no, nah, we don't need to hear this. We'll give them one count. 32. 32. Like, imagine there was just the, the shooting on the subway in Brooklyn. And there were a bunch of witnesses and let's say 32 people had a story about it. They saw this guy's face, some people that this guy shot, maybe some some of these 32 witnesses had video or audio of the incident. 32 people line up in front of a federal prosecutor and say, yeah, I have evidence against this guy who just shot up a subway platform in Brooklyn. And the prosecutor's like, eh. I mean, maybe we'll give them one count of solicitation, <laughs> soliciting a weapon, and we'll throw them in jail. We'll throw them in a hotel for 13 months. So we'll let them out at night, 
which by the way, you can't tell someone they're going to jail if you let them out. That's not a jail. Like you can't get sentenced to a hotel. They basically made a reservation for Epstein at this quote unquote jail. They didn't send him to jail. So yeah, they basically, they by law, the the Crime Victims Act mandates that the Justice Department notifies the Epstein's victim the the uh, notify Epstein's victims in the case uh, that his case was being adjudicated. So they had to, by law, tell the victims that yes, we are adjudicating this case. We are moving forward with this case. But the Justice Department didn't do that. Epstein's victims were notified after the sentence and non prosecution agreement had been finalized. So they couldn't speak with Epstein's prosecutors. The victims couldn't speak with Epstein's prosecutors. They couldn't confront Epstein, um, which you should, uh, of course, have that opportunity. And it's not just should. You're legally bounded to. But for some reason, again, someone from intelligence or high up in the government said that this guy is untouchable and the normal laws of a prosecution case and adjudication do not apply to Jeffrey Epstein. The prosecutor, the the assistant U.S. attorney of the United States basically pulled the bad friend move on the Jeffrey Epstein uh, victims. Like if you, I've been a bad friend. I've had, I've had friends uh, do bad things to me. I'm, I'm lucky to have a lot of great friends, but you know, occasionally we're pieces of shit. I'm pieces of shit. They're pieces of shit. You're pieces of shit. And when you know you're going to do something shady, when you know you're going to do something bad that involves your friend, a lot of times what happens is you do it first knowing it's wrong and then you tell them later. And I'll give you an example. I had a friend, I I had two friends, uh, this is back in college, one of these friends had just broken up with his girlfriend two weeks prior um and then two weeks later another friend of mine hooked up with that girl the same girl so one of my friends broke up with the girl and another one of my friends hooked up with that girl and we're all mutual friends we all know each other the bad friend the friend that hooked up with the ex knew it was bad because i had conversations with this person about it Um, And I've done similar things in the past. So again, I'm not excluding myself from being a, having been a bad friend at times, but this, this friend knew it was bad and he did it anyway. And then he came clean to my other friend after and was like, Hey, you know, I just need to tell you. I pile drived your girlfriend last Saturday. And of course they were, they were pissed. Angry, whatever. They're still friends, bros before hoes. But that's basically what the prosecutor did. Like the United States assistant U.S. attorney was basically like, "Fuck it." I know we're supposed to notify these victims before legally we're supposed to, but let's just move forward with the case. We won't tell them it's actually going on, and then we'll just like send them a text after and be like, "By the way." We fucked you. By the way, Epstein got sentenced to a hotel experience for 13 months. By the way, you will not get a chance to testify. 
how like I'm just blown away with all of the shit that is allowed to like all of the backyard bullshit that is being allowed to occur allowed to occur in the criminal justice system. So again, it's it's either these people are fucking terrible at their jobs and they just fell into the the prosecutor, the assistant attorney position, or they're just purposely doing a bad job because they're covering it up. Because someone from uh, a higher up position said this is intelligence. The blackmail media room. So there was a lot of conversation about you know the the actual blackmail of Epstein what was going on on the island his apartment in New York that he supposedly had wired and and video and it's not supposedly there's actual evidence of it and Bryant writes about that Nick Bryant writes about that in the article the blackmail media room of Epstein and he writes in the wake of Epstein's arrest the New York Times reports on the evidence federal authorities seized from searching Epstein's house it included possibly thousands, definitely hundreds, but possibly thousands of sexually suggestive photographs of girls who appear underage, as well as hand-labeled compact disc with titles like, quote, girl picks nude, and the names redacted like young name plus name. How horrible is the media guy for Jeffrey Epstein, by the way? Like the one thing, you would think that the one thing you'd have to do as the guy in charge of the the blackmail audio and video for Epstein is to just not label it what it is. Like, label it 2004 graduation. Or, like, Missy's birthday party. This guy literally said, girl picks nude. Like, I wonder if they're going to look into this. I wonder if this... This when this house gets raided inevitably, that they're going to look at girl picks nude and be like, I wonder if there's illegal shit on here so one the 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 media guy the the blackmail guy for epstein that was in charge of the video rooms you know just bad at his job besides the fact that he's a a horrible piece of shit that's a co-conspirator he he's also like if you're gonna do something terrible at least be good at it i i would have respect more for a person like if you're a serial killer if ever if you take all the categories of serial killers, all all the people that fall within the category of serial killer, they're all terrible. But at least there are ones that took the job seriously better than others, and ones that did it sloppily. Like this guy was just a sloppy blackmail co-conspirator. No excuse for that. Should have been fired. <laughs> Young insert name here. Yeah, I wonder if police will look into this. So, I mean, essentially, this is this is how it worked. And, and I know this has been said a bunch of times before in different stories, but if you're wondering why Epstein was having his properties wired, his island wired, his, his mansion wired with audio uh, and, and video basically in every room, it's because he would throw a lot of parties. And at these parties, you have very powerful people. And it's not just a pedophile party like you don't walk in and it's not just teenage girls all over and at least not at first and like weird vibes whatever like these were very socialite high status parties and so you walk in 
and there's booze. There maybe you know later on in the evening, some people stay around. There's drugs. People are getting very fucked up. Everyone's all powerful. You feel safe and connected. Like nothing. No one's gonna. Of course, no one's gonna talk about me nine tequilas deep doing cocaine off of million dollar art we're all we're all in this together and you have no idea there are cameras and shit around the house and i imagine you know there had to be this air of normality and when i say normality i mean normal to very powerful people if i walked into this room i'd be like holy shit like there's just um what's the movie where the guy is working for a call room and he is sorry to bother you and when he gets called up to the next level and he walks in and it's just strippers and tits and drugs and drinking and like very a lot of money a lot of powerful people people doing blowout in the open like i'm not used to that so it wouldn't be normal for me but for a lot of people at these parties like high status new york socialites this it's just like you walk in to a room of eight people around drinking champagne doing blow with millions of dollars of art hanging on the wall and it, it would be like me walking into a chipotle pretty much i'm just like oh yeah checks out checks out so the party goes on you know people get more drunk people get more fucked up you're feeling that cocaine confidence and all of a sudden you know the the 20 30 year old women go away and like girls start to look a little bit younger like maybe Epstein throws in like an 18 year old in there and then like a 16 year old 15 year old but you know all voluptuous developed like you wouldn't look at her probably probably a lot of makeup on and and think oh that girl's 15 that girl's 16 and you get so fucked up things happen maybe you sleep with one of these one of these girls who are underage you don't think anything of it. You're like, you know what? Like I've, they're mixed in with the normalcy of the party. You go into a room that's wired for audiovisual blackmail. You fuck a 15 year old, and then you are owned for the rest of your life. I imagine that's what happened. Um, the, like the kind of the vibe. You just some people uh, are willingly, you know, having sex with underage people underage children um and they're they're, that is uh, fucking despicable obviously and then there are also a lot of people i think that epstein like he he threw these parties to kind of get people boozed up and comfortable and like the horny motherfuckers who went into this party they're cheating on their wives anyway and they come in and they have sex with someone who maybe they didn't know underage but either way you're owned and they're all doing it together and then maybe because you did it once you're just like whatever i'm owned for the rest of my life i'm gonna do it again and that's the scary part that's the scary part like the you literally can't say anything not not to mention these girls that are being trafficked from other countries and like the 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 horrible shit that they had to endure but if you were someone at a party and you're engaging in underage sex and let's say you 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 want to put a stop to it you can't without destroying your life that these girls lives are already pretty much destroyed because of what they have to go through but like you have no out you can't go to the police and be like Jeffrey Epstein's hoarding underage girls and he's breaking them out of parties and 
Because then the police would be like, well, how do you know that? And you'd be like, oh, shit, I fucked one of them. So you have no way to get out. You're literally owned to your life, owned for your life. It's like the equivalent of having a gun to your head. And you're also a politician. You're someone who is high up at a Fortune 500 company. You have a lot of money. You have a lot of power. You have both. And people that also own you, besides Epstein, that have these videos, that have these recordings, can come to you and say, you're going to vote for this. You're not going to vote for this. You're going to say this. You're going to donate this to this person. You're going to give me this property. You're going to give me that property. You're going to do this for me. And you literally can't say no unless you want to go to jail for the rest of your life, unless you want your family to leave you, you want to lose everything. It's either lose everything or just keep your mouth shut and be like, fuck it. Like, I'm fucked for life, but I'm just going to keep doing this. You can't go to the authorities. You can't. And again, I'm not saying this to. I, I don't feel bad for these guys at all. Um, that even if they were tricked into fucking underage girls, because you shouldn't be in that position anyway. Again, a lot of these guys were planning to do it they were doing it on purpose they were having sex with people they full well knew were underage even if you got tricked into it and were drunk high whatever you're still a piece of shit you're still a despicable human being and it's also like you're 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 drawn into this different state of life now where you have literally zero control over your actions and and that's what makes it so scary that you have people that are high up that are literally just stringing these very powerful people politicians who knows how many people are owned like this is why i can't take people's opinions seriously anymore in politics because i'm like who owns you even if it's not something as dark as a pedophile ring even if you just got caught like cheating on your wife with someone legal age and and you don't want that to come out and someone sends you the, a photo or a video there's no way to know which politicians are owned and which ones aren't which ceos are owned, tech people whoever like the, these people that control so much of our lives with twitter facebook hedge funds politics there's literally no way to know how many people are owned and if they are there's no no way to find out no way to do anything Nick Bryan also writes that Epstein, however, as a lone college dropout from Coney Island, could not have blackmailed power brokers with impunity. Such men can have access to ruffians, murderers, and even organized crime. So that's a great point. Epstein is a college dropout from Coney Island. How the fuck do you go from college dropout to blackmailing the most powerful people in the world? Like allegedly... Um, you know, Bill Clinton, other past presidents, um, very powerful lawyers, people in media, like all, there has to be someone powerful. And a lot of people think that uh, Les Wexner, the guy who owns Victoria's Secret, a lot of people think that that was his end, that somehow Jeffrey Epstein got close to Lex Wexner, got some shit on him. And then that's why Les Wexner gave him all this money and property and basically just signed over an entire fortune to Jeffrey Epstein. So a lot of people think that was his in. But it's like, how the fuck did this guy, even if he managed to blackmail one powerful politician, you know, somehow snuck into a party, wired a room, whatever, 
And then he went to that politician and said, I'm going to release this unless you do this. You're dead. Like Jeffrey Epstein would have been killed two weeks into his career as a black male artist unless someone with a lot of money and power was protecting him because that would make people scared to go after Epstein. And that's certainly the case because that's why I'm reading about this article by Nick Bryan in the Sheer Post and not the New York Times. So it's like, who the fuck gave this guy the in? Who who invested in Jeffrey Epstein? Because what Jeffrey Epstein was doing took a lot of influence and money. It's like any business. Unless you come from a shit ton of money, which Jeffrey Epstein didn't, you need investment. What he, what he was doing took so much capital. He had to have a fancy property to make rich and powerful people feel comfortable to throw parties. He had to have the art. He had to furnish it. He had to cultivate these relationships. He had to buy all the video and audio software to wire his property, to wire the island. Someone provided or multiple people provided capital like a like a business investment to run the business of Jeffrey Epstein, which was collecting pieces of audiovisual blackmail on the most powerful people in the United States and also the world and use that to control the outcome. So who was his in? And also, where are these tapes? Nick Bryan writes that these tapes went down a black hole. You know, where the fuck are these tapes? Like, they will have everything. And obviously, you know, someone, they're either destroyed or someone's got them in a vault somewhere. Because here's the thing. If the, if, if the people that searched the house, when they found these tapes that were labeled young insert name or girl picks nude when the FBI whoever raided this house and found the tapes those tapes are valuable to the people in power who were the puppeteers of Epstein so they don't want those tapes destroyed so they're probably still out there because they have there's no blackmail without the tapes so if the police or, or someone destroyed these tapes then all the work of Epstein means nothing because now those people are free that were once being controlled. So I'm sure someone had an in and someone had control, someone very powerful had control over this situation to procure these tapes, keep them in a vault somewhere, underground, I don't know, but just so the people in power know that these tapes are still out there. Like, probably... Whoever has these tapes probably sent out an email blast to all the people that were caught performing illegal acts on the tapes and be like, hey, just so you know, yes, Epstein is dead, but I still have a tape, so you better do what I say, motherfucker. I'll end with this. I'll end with the most damning piece of evidence of the Epstein pedophile network, according to Nick Bryant. The most damning evidence of Epstein working for a larger clandestine network is the abrogation of justice that he left in his wake over the decades. Who or what has the power to make the Justice Department subvert the Crime Victims' Rights Act? Who or what has the power to make the FBI stand down into an investigation involving child sexual abuse? Who or what has the power to protect Epstein's powerful pedophilic perps over the course of three administrations, 
those of George W. Bush, those of Barack Obama, and those of Donald Trump. The puppeteer or puppeteers in the Epstein case apparently transcend the institutions of government and also political affiliations. This one goes to the top. Someone has the amount of power to make federal officers and attorney generals stand down. And you better believe it leads back to the top. So, again, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope this provided you some sort of insight to the Jeffrey Epstein cover-up. Thank you so much to Nick Bryant for writing this article. Again, I want to make the point that I'm not... I'm not trying to be an expert in these topics. I like reading about these topics. I like investigating these topics. I'm not an investigative journalist. Obviously, the, the, the investigative journalists are the ones that do all the hardcore work to release these details like Nick Bryant, which I am grateful for. I'm, I'm trying to transform long-form articles into exciting monologues exciting conversations and i hope this has been entertaining for you today because i know i love things in podcast form i love reading i love reading articles like this long form articles in my opinion are one of the greatest gold mines to create podcast information about because a lot of people these days they either read the headlines or they um they read a book. It's either like super long or super short and long form articles kind of come out and people save them. And they're like, I'll read this later. I'll email to myself, which I do all the time and I never read it. So I enjoy going through articles like this. I hope this has been entertaining. I hope this has given you some insights. And I didn't just want to read what Nick Bryant wrote, but I wanted to comment on it, give my opinion, you know, be a little bit silly, um, share some facts, put some personality into it. So thank you for listening. If you'd like bonus episodes, you can go to augzoro.supercast.com and that is where I will release monthly bonus episodes on these sorts of topics. And there's also exclusive Ask Me Anything episodes. You can suggest topics and questions for the podcast. And I will also be sending out book recommendations and video recommendations, which are the resources that I use like this article to prepare for future podcasts. So I have a long ass list on my phone of topics I'm going to go through and articles and resources. And so I'm going to include that in the monthly email that gets sent out to subscribers. Thank you for listening to this episode. I love you guys. I'll see you next time. Hopefully.